Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I am Oliver Banks, your host, and delighted, as always, to be your guide to the ever-evolving world of retail. And I'm here as a retail transformation practitioner to serve you as a consultant and as a coach on your journey to significantly improve your retail business and retail operating model. Thank you for tuning in. This one is episode 168, number 168. Now, right here on the podcast, I believe that it is critically important to think not only about the what of retail transformation, but also the how. Because if you can't deliver the transformation, then really it doesn't matter, right? But to deliver a transformation, it's important for you to be at your best. So here at the start of the year, I wanted to think more about how you can develop yourself and in particular how you can think differently. And so to do that in the best way possible, I am excited to welcome Fiona McDonnell to the podcast as today's special guest. Now, Fiona is a senior retail executive drawing on 30 years of experience in consumer products working with brands like Amazon and Kellogg's and Kraft and Nike and McCormick, as well as companies like PwC and Forrester a really top-notch background. And recently, as a managing director at Amazon, Fiona combined commercial retail leadership with her role as an executive sponsor for diversity, which is something she's very passionate about. And actually, she won Diversity Leader of the Year in the 2019 Tech Leaders Awards. In addition to this, Fiona is an active member of STEM and is a STEM ambassador, STEM standing for science, technology, engineering and maths, which is particularly good as a fellow ex-engineer myself. She is also an advisory board member for Working Options in Education and Dial Global, with Dial standing for Diverse and Inclusive Aspirational Leaders. So she's got a ton of experience and is super passionate about helping future leaders. And so at the end of last year, 2021, Fiona published her first book, Two Mirrors and a Cheetah. Think differently, own your career and succeed by being yourself. And that's what we're going to be diving into in much more detail today. Be sure to check out the show notes today at obandco.uk slash 168, where you can find out more about Fiona and her experience, as well as additional episodes of the podcast to listen to, which I'll come back to at the end of the episode. So without further ado, here is my fantastic conversation with Fiona McDonald. Enjoy. So I'm very excited to be joined by Fiona McDonald. Fiona, how are you and welcome to the show. Uh, I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, it's really fantastic to join you here and we're going to be diving into some really interesting topics all around uh, your brand new book. Congratulations, by the way, both in physical form and audio book. You're the author of Two Mirrors and a Cheetah, 
think differently, own your career and succeed by being yourself, which I think is just a, a really fascinating topic, which is why I'm excited to be to be jumping in today. And I'd like to to start, I suppose, with that term think differently. And I suppose I'd firstly like to kick off, you know, why is it important to be thinking differently? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of angles you can take to this. And, you know, where I arrived at picking that as one of the pieces of my subtitle was with some of my beta readers and thinking, you know, what is it that we don't maybe see enough mm. of? And you had this sort of um, dichotomy today of, you know, wanting a diverse perspectives because they drive innovation. And yet we have on the one side this sort of mass personalization, which really ends up tying into sort of social media and group think where everybody is seeing the same stuff and liking the same stuff. And you get in a <laughs> sort of, you know, a circle of seeing less and less stuff, even though you feel or you're, you're led to believe you're being yourself and being unique. You know, you're not in a certain large you know, macro yeah. sense there. And so thinking differently for me and putting that out there is to question, are you even thinking as yourself and bringing that, you know, diverse point that you do or that all of us have as individuals out there um, as a sort of, you know, big question as a start point. But on the other side of stuff, when I see not just innovative products or, you know, disruptors, it's it's not about doing things faster and better, but the stuff that sticks is the stuff that tends to come from, you know, left field or takes people by surprise. And there's an element of, oh, I might not have thought of that. Or for a customer, I might not have thought it ever needed that. And so the, the sort of thinking from different angles and the abstract versus the to be expected is what I'm sort of bringing together in that phrase of think differently, though each you know, each person can take mm. it different for themselves. But I think it's important, really, because if we don't continually challenge ourselves to think differently, there is a risk that we get far too much of the same stuff, um, which you know means we'll stagnate in terms of progress or innovation. And I personally think that you know life would be boring if we all thought the same. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's a really good point, particularly. In the world of social media, it's easy to get trapped in an echo chamber, right? Where you follow or unfollow people based on do they align with your existing thinking? And it, we've yeah. seen plenty of examples of, I suppose, a social media storm being whipped up by people that are all just thinking the same. Yeah, and when I when I comment on so I, you know certainly in the past year whilst researching the book and doing stuff I played around and I say play around because it's you know I wasn't doing the day job in the traditional sense and I got involved in more discussion forums whether that was Instagram which I started from scratch just because of the book and did more um, on LinkedIn and different types of groups mm. and I would comment on people's comments or posts with well why. Or, or why not? And instead of people going, yeah, that's a good angle, people get, you know, very protective <laughs> that their view is right. And then, you know, 600 other people pile on top with like, 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 but it doesn't add to the conversation. And if, if I've learned anything over my, you know, six years at Amazon recently, that being able to challenge constructively and respectively brings better solutions out. But if you all start sitting around a table going, yeah, you know, that's fabulous. It doesn't take something a step further it doesn't critique it for the better thing it could be. And it doesn't critique stuff to watch out for the bad stuff it might contain or the, you know, the, the things which could actually be fixed, etc. And so I think it's about remaining healthy and challenging stuff without being, you know, overly critical and damaging. It's not about trolling people. To mm. But I think standing up for the alternative and diverse opinion 
is a stuff it's something that needs doing otherwise it may disappear that was my sort of point of view yeah no it's really interesting and of course in the retail industry innovation is is going to be driven by thinking differently rather than just being a follower shall we say in terms of technology or proposition or you know any particular aspect even price right yeah I suppose reflecting on your time at at Amazon and your experiences at Amazon, how do they think differently? Well, there's two things. And and first of all, I know whilst I don't work there at the moment, um, these are my opinions uh, and the stuff that I'll share is probably widely in the public domain. Certainly to go and have a look on Amazon's website. But the leadership principles as a start Mm. point, two of them spring to mind when you mention that lead and be curious as well as think big, you know, talk about how the company sees that and it people are encouraged to you know demonstrate or model those behaviors and being curious is about looking around corners and always finding more for customers because you know amazon is if nothing else completely customer centric um, but the think big element is to encourage you to have a vision and to not just look at what's in front of you so that you again are still inventing and having bold visions the emphasis more there on bold and vision to try different things. Mm. So that's encouraged rather than, you know, asked not to be focused on because people are afraid of, would be afraid of failing. And that's something you don't have at Amazon. You know, the idea that failure is part of the process of innovating, I think comes about by having bold leadership principles that recognize and celebrate all of the possibilities. Um, but the other thing, for me, which was different to get used to, but also I think helps them be innovative and think differently is whilst being a massive business that's doing a lot and is you know, super disciplined in execution with the customer in mind, it also has the speed of an entrepreneur doing loads of scrappy projects at the same time. You know, So mm. that I used to think coming out of consumer goods, if one in every 10 products was successful, which it was when in my sort of CPG days, why don't you just do 10 at a time and you always have something that goes across the line and works. And I think in some ways that's what Amazon does. It has hundreds of things going on. So there's always going to be a front runner that makes it over the line. Mm. So, so so those are some of the things. And one of the other ones, I think many people talk about this, um, you know, this press release, which is in my way view, it's really thinking about what does success look like? And if you, in the same way Stephen Covey did, start with the end in mind, if you can picture it, you then have something which you can critique to make sure you deliver the best of mm. it. And that is those sort of disciplines all coming together in a way, you know, they look at business and plan for stuff that's event- eventualities and stuff that may never come. Yes. And critique it respectfully and, you know, with a challenge because it's better for customers, really. And that's absolutely a great approach for people to be taking with their transformation is to think about the end right at the start, so to speak, whether that's a business transformation, a retail transformation, or actually a, a personal transformation as well. Not just, yeah, I want to change, so, but what is it I want to be doing? Yeah, so what and so what I try and do with people and leadership, and I mean, I run businesses and write business plans or three to five year visions, and I have a picture in my mind, you know, being able to, I, and I love doing that stuff, throwing out the line so far that it's not where you're going to be working, but you need to sort of have a direction of travel and then working back to see which piece of that five-year vision do you cut off into your one-year business plan and get really detailed about going after milestones and achieving. And I like to 
throw the challenge in the same way to people about their own leadership development. Can you picture, and the word picture is that what you know I've been using in recent months, can you picture what it looks like? But also, what does success not only look like, but what does it look like for you? And what I came across personally as a you know a working mom um, in you know recent years was people critiquing the fact that I couldn't really be successful if I was compromising this and that. But what do people know about what my definition of success is? Yeah. And so it's for each individual to decide what do you think success looks like for you? And don't be driven by what it was for me. So 10, 20 years ago, or even 30, when I went into business, you know, success was, and excuse me if there's any um, males listening, but it was, a, you know, a near 50 male who'd lost their, you know, their, their health, maybe their looks, their hair, sometimes their family. And that was painted as success. Now, I didn't see that as particularly attractive. And so, seeing how bizarrely different that is from what I would you know, want to do, it's very easy to see that, well, maybe other people are aiming at something that isn't success for themselves, and yet they're on a treadmill heading towards it or trying to head towards mm. it. So it's about pausing and saying, picture what you'd like success to be and work towards your own vision. But you, know, you have to be able to ignore the, the trolls and the critics yeah. and what society dictates success and therefore you have to be able to think differently about what success looks like yeah absolutely it's perfectly describes the sort of shall we say the echo chamber or the path that is well trodden to follow in past leadership successes to quote martin newman the pale male and stale shall we say and you know (laughs) if you're just doing what that sort of group of people would have done 15 20 30 maybe more years ago it's, it's a different environment now. So, yeah, we need to be thinking differently about how we go about approaching the world of work and the work itself. Yeah, and I think we're at a moment in time, particularly because of the pandemic, where, you know, technology has made it so much more infinitely possible to be flexible, be remote and see that work can be done differently. If people can just take that step of owning, you know, for themselves what they're wanting to do and recognize that they have some choices they may not think of choices to define it for themselves differently it just gives you a different level of of energy and you know commitment that you can achieve what you want you may not be able to achieve what somebody else is aiming for Mm. but that was never you know never the goal at least it doesn't have to be Um, i even saw yesterday i think it was a harvard business review had a post out um an article that you know who are you it was something called something like who are you considering kidding you're successful if you're working 70 hours a week and I'd commented that well how do we know we don't know what this individual has painted as success and also if you love what you do why should you be looking to do less of it and I seek to you know make what I do for work something I like doing and therefore I'm not in this forced trade-off of do as little as possible because that's work and the rest of it is life Mm. I think it should be paid and non-paid and you know made up of priorities that you yourself decide are important and we still don't think like that we feel that we have to do the work and the life balance and and don't get me started about this weighing scales analogy i think that's just (laughs) the wrong mental image to do things in a constructive way Mm. but yeah large institutions and people again who we listen to their voice and we take on trust what they write and say still perpetuate some of the models that i don't think are suitable for everybody in today's world now that we are you know changing so much and people can have a bit more of it all as long as they define it their own Mm. way 
And it's it's interesting thinking about the echo chamber, for example, and it, it can be easy to sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that you are being yourself. Uh, certainly, I know I've struggled with that in the past, particularly back in corporate life. I did have some fantastic coaching to help me get over that. But it is easy to fall into the trap of I suppose the treadmill, as, as, as you kind of hinted at, what's the best way to recognise that in yourself? How do you know if you need to get yourself out of a rut and start to evolve and transform yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, I start with, you know, asking people and asking myself, you know, am I being myself? And, you know, people often say, should I be my professional me or the personal me? And why are they two different things is my start point if you're loving what you're doing and making these things you know an extension yes I look at moments where I realize that it wasn't possible to be two people and when we get stressed or under you know heightened so whether it's workload or pressure everybody has different stresses so I hesitate to say this will be the same for everybody but I look at the moments let's say when I returned from maternity leave my first one about you know 11 years ago now I was in a different world of micro sleep, like, you know, four hours was a luxury. <laughs> and so when I look back now, the pressure which I was under that I'd put myself in and what I was doing left, right and center, I did not have time to put a mental head on for Fiona at work versus Fiona at home. So I became the same person in that way that I got less fussed about you know, maybe a bit of milk on my shoulder or, you know, whether I read 100% of my emails, you know, versus maybe 95%. But it was a moment that caused me to say, okay, you know, doing two things makes no sense. But part of that transition was on autopilot. I just dropped the things that weren't important because I didn't have time to do both on little energy. And that's made me say, oh, if it could work for me then when I had kids that I could simply drop the stuff that wasn't necessary and simply be me unapologetically though of course you know working with my teams to let them know what they could then expect of me why can't I do that again 10-15 years later when things you know build I don't know whether people could be carers or they may have a health issue whatever why it shouldn't just have to be that child uh, birth moment and so it's about except for me it was about accepting that I don't have to do both and I can see when I start to do both or, you know, move back into those two because it takes energy. And I've learned over the years, and anybody can do this, if you start to learn where you get energy and where you lose it, you give yourself a bit of a power. And it sounds really wishy-washy. And, it, it, you know, I used to think that when people talked about, hey, energy. But in each interaction <laughs> you have with somebody on a day, just think, do you walk out of that meeting or that phone call or that, you know, Zoom with somebody feeling boosted of energy or do you come out going Poof. Mm. and when you you know each interaction or activity in your day when you start to see which ones boost you and which ones drop you down you can see which ones to leave alone yes you know and it's little things like that when you understand how you yourself work but you have to pay attention to them or have a look and see before you really gain control of those nuances and that's i use my energy as something that I, you know, as a guiding factor, so that I know if I'm forcing myself to do something or be somebody different, I'm going to start feeling it. And I suppose for me, things like stress or frustration, they don't come from me having far too much work to do or being busy. I love those things. But having a lack of choice or feeling in a dead end or just 
you know, being stuck under a hundred levels of things that I'd rather jump to the top and get done. Mm. That's where I feel it. And so learning to recognize the things that don't work for you are where you can then say, okay, I must be forcing myself into being two different people rather than just dropping it again. So those are the little things which I use. And I'd encourage mm. anybody literally just to take the day they listen to this podcast and just pay attention to the next few hours, which are those sorts of things for you. And when you think you have no choice or control in something, if you look closer, you've probably got a few more choices than you thought, but you don't see them as choices. Yes. And it's those little things that I think help you be the same person at work or at home um, to sort of answer that question. I think I wandered off the topic there. Yeah, no, well, I, I think it's a fascinating topic and I really love what, what we've just been exploring actually because, you know, we all feel in the moment whether we are feeling good or feeling stressed, we inherently know it. But I think whether we really take focus and really observe how we're feeling and what those highs and lows were through the day, I'm sure if we all spent just, just a couple of minutes just reflecting every day, we'd be able to quite quickly highlight <laughs> those those aspects, those people, those situations that give or, or take energy. And ultimately that will help us to succeed because I think yeah. we all inherently know, again, we're better when we're, when we're energized, right? It's easier said than done. And I think if people, you know, you know, would, what would be the new year's resolution for anybody <laughs> honesty and i say it sounds so so simple but it's very easy not to be honest with yourself but if you can't start being honest and go you know what i just don't like working for this particular manager for example many people have that or look this job just does not you know make me thrilled if you can't be honest with yourself you can't take a step to actually look for the right job next time or actually take it up with your manager or get that extra, you know, project that might make things a bit, you know, nicer or change environments. Because if you aren't honest with yourself about it, you're more likely going to ask for the same thing again, even if you go and try and move jobs, for example. Mm. If you haven't been able to articulate to yourself what was wrong, you can't not articulate getting it the next yes. time round. And it's, it's a really sort of simple but difficult to... It's easy to conceptualize, but it's difficult in practice because it's so easy to to kid yourself that things can be fine. And it's not nice sort of admitting that maybe the, the role you're in or actually the project or the team you're on just doesn't float your boat. But doing so will help you then say, okay, so what next? And how do I, you know, stand up and do something about this? Mm. And it doesn't have to be, you know, disrespectful or throw in the, you know, toys out of the pram. It's about saying, okay, this is where I'm at. Where would I like to be? And therefore, what does this picture yep. of success look like in work environment, for example, rather than just goals for the year? And then you help yourself with honesty, paint a picture and you have you know, more chance of going and finding that. I do wonder with the great resignation going on, how many people are going to jump out of one ship and jump straight into an exact carbon copy because they haven't, haven't oh, I, I this. totally get <laughs> I absolutely agree with that one and I, you know I, I've talked about the great resignation a lot in recent months in connection with obviously the stuff I've written in my book but I'm most probably part of the great resignation when I think about mm. it the moment that I left what I was doing because I wanted to scale my leadership and my uh, mentoring via a book which is essentially what I was trying to do just storytelling for, to make it more available I am one of those statistics of people who left potentially unexpectedly um, from an employer and not in search of, um, you know, 
more pay or more flexibility. It was just, look, the world has made me think differently. I still love what I do and I'm about to, you know, go back in and do that. However, for the moment, I still count within that statistics. But I've been talking to lots of people and saying, was it the great rethink mm. rather than the great resignation? Oh, I we like see that. The, yeah, well, we see the effect rather than the cause, right? So yeah. the resignation is simply the thing we've been tracking, that number. Was it the the reprioritization, you know, next to the rethink? Or was it just the, you know, the just not now, uh, give me a break, you know, keep calm and, well, take two years out <laughs> sort of thing or whatever it is. printed on a tea um, towel. That remains to, yeah, it remains to be seen. But I do think if people are actively doing stuff in their career, if you don't know what was wrong in your context, and I, the cheetah is the context which we can talk mm. about, if you don't know what was missing, you can run away from that, but you need to run to something that doesn't again repeat what you have behind you and so you have to be able to isolate and you know remove that when you look for something again and that takes a lot of you know detailed self-awareness not just the standard definition of self-awareness but understanding of yourself your situation and how that all affects you in one go so environments are so important and yet we only look at skills and cvs and experience rather than you know, our satisfaction in a job is as much about where we are, who we're with and the conditions for success mm. as it is about our CV and our toolkit. So, yeah, I think that term environment is really interesting. And actually, how how do you set that environment up in the right way, both for you and those around you, whether it's your team, whether it's your peers, your colleagues? What, what, what sort of advice do you have for people in terms of getting that setting that environment right? Yeah. So it's it, it's good you pick on the word environment. So when I, and I'm I'm going to tell you a little bit about the cheetah in the book okay. here, simply because this is what I wrote and it's one of the crazier bits. I think it's the missing piece in many people's success puzzle is the the environment or the conditions and the environment. If you leave just the word environment, you look at the you know the situational stuff or the you know the physical stuff. But I think your environment is made up of things which you need. So conditions. For success and they can be things from your your job the type of work you know the compensation the, the contractual stuff as well or the challenge but it can be the company you know the vision do you believe in it where's the business located are they sustainable all these things but also the manager and the key thing for me that makes that context rather than just environment is the manager they shape your day they shape the way you work they can shape how you feel about yourself as well as you know, being around you, they may shape the way meetings are run, etc. Mm. And so seeing the context as what you as an individual needs from each of those three elements, you're able to sort of articulate it in a way that helps you go look for them. And so I encourage people to sort of think about a handful of things under each of those buckets and list them down. And those would be things that you or I would need to feel sort of fulfilled in our, you know, jobs. And once you learn to do that, when you're a leader yourself, you can then think through the eyes of other people. So my team are going to have needs in these three buckets. And I, as the manager, am a whole source of one of them. Yes. The company and its opportunities it makes available are a whole source of the other ones. You know, you may say HR is, you know, in charge of benefits and pay and working hours or whatever. But when you widen it to be conditions for success in three buckets and not just the job, you see how much responsibility as a leader you have to help shape that for other people rather than say, look, Jim, you know, you're performing badly here or you're not using this skill, you know, you're not brilliant. 
And Jim might be thinking but not saying, you know what, it's the way you talk to me on a Monday morning or the fact that you don't listen to me in meetings or I sit there with ideas that I've never heard, yeah? And it forces you to do that exercise for yourself and then see how you can really change things for the better for people who work for you. Mm, that's really fascinating. That's really fascinating. Jim doesn't exist. That was a random okay. example. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I'm sure a couple of people listening called Jim have got a few beads of sweat. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Give me a call, Jim, yeah. <laughs> so uh, let, let's just explore the cheetah and the two mirrors, or more specifically, yeah. the other way around. <laughs> where, where did that name come from then? Tell, tell me more. Yeah, so I mean, that is, uh, as the, I'm an engineer stroke marketeer, you know, the dichotomy is me and I love it. And that's the marketeer, you know, make it memorable, make it a hook. And yeah. people know the name of my book without having any idea what's in it. So it will stand the test of time, hopefully. But the name came when I did a keynote speech about four years ago, the International Women's Day in Germany. And it was being bold for change. And I was invited as one of the few female directors who'd worked in many different countries to sort of share my experience. And I wanted to make my experience not just shareable, but transferable and usable. So I took my career and pulled it apart to say, well, that's a lovely story for me, but how could you use it for yours? So that's what I set out to do. So it was being bold is being you how to not listen to me, Mm. how to be yourself and take my story into your world. And I randomly called it Two Mirrors and a Cheetah so people would turn up. And then they tried to take the title away thinking it was an English euphemism the Germans wouldn't understand. (laughs) And so I thought, you know, brilliant, it's working. Now we're going to keep the title. And so I built my advice around three metaphors, which became far easier to do than I realized. But the, 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 the title was about the storytelling of the whole ability to understand who you are and what you have which is mirror one the the challenge of being that in reality which is the normally unexplored and difficult bit of being yourself the authenticity piece is the mirror two and then the cheetah was this context which i've just described Mm. to you and i think those three things together they're not an equation or a venn diagram but the three of them are necessary i think to understand how you can be in control of your sort of feeling of fulfillment you know or self-actualization however you want Mm. to describe it because you can play with changing pieces of all of them to feel fulfilled rather than just moving when something doesn't work. You can, you know, have different levels of control. So that's where that title came from. And when I did some development sessions for Amazon, I used the same construct and people loved the imagery because I got the storytelling from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which is actually mirror number two. It's not about reflection. It's about not listening to other people and putting your self-belief in the hands of other people like the mirror. Mm. So it's, it's, it's storytelling that makes it difficult to forget. And then hopefully the difficult to accept lessons stay with you in a more playful way, which I think is easier to learn. And yeah. um, so I kept the title and then I just had the major challenge of writing a subtitle that helped people understand what that was in a book <laughs> because um, particularly with search marketing, search, you know, search engine optimization and stuff, I need to be able to say the words of what's in this book about thinking differently yes. and you know, being yourself, etc. Hence engineering a subtitle to work digitally. <laughs> That's yeah. how that happened, basically. Okay, now I understand. Yeah, so I, I, I love that. And I think, well, yeah, do you, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what people can expect from the book as well, Fiona? Yeah, so the book... It's not like other career books that will tell you how to be successful or tell you how to be a billionaire, but actually that's what my readers have been loving about it. It's a book which will help you ask yourself 
questions so that you can find out what the right answer is rather than somebody tell you. But with me having sort of 30 years of, you know, experience in rather large corporates that many people know, like, you know, Amazon, Nike, you know, Kraft, Kellogg's, there are big places that um, I've experienced. And I use my um, work and life personal experience very, very openly. I talk about anxiety. I talk about where I maybe been fired once or what should we call it you know those sorts of things just to keep it real yeah. because you know I don't live in an ivory tower uh, even in the storytelling book and I think sharing some real examples but making them as I say transferable and extracting the learning so that readers can say okay how would you use that yourself or choose to use it it's essentially it's an empowering read it's an inspirational super easy read I actually wanted to have a book that was a beach read of a career book rather than a heavy going workshop because some people with busy lives are put off reading you know books but it's also a book that is either for the start of your career or actually a career health check and sharp skill sharpener if you're a leader somebody said it's for mid career changes as well as veterans and there are tips on or sort of thoughts on how you can use the two mirrors and achieve to lead your teams as well not just how you manage yourself. So it's it's coming at it from all angles. And I tackle work-life rhythm rather than work-life balance in there too. So you can expect sort of part one, because it's two parts essentially, the storytelling and the concept of these crazy frameworks, <laughs> and then a whole suite of sort of use cases, whether that's job hunting or making internal moves or being a coach, um, or actually dealing with a bad manager is one of the chapters I've written, which people have loved because I talk about um, how not to be one, but also many people find themselves under what is a bad for them manager. Yes. And yet it's a big piece we don't talk about. So I've got a whole section on actually how to think about dealing with that to get out of it if you're in there, but equally to you know, not become that manager. And sort of quite a long time ago in my career, I experienced somebody, this leader who physically threw stuff at me. I literally had stuff land on my table. This guy got very angry and there's, you know, there's no excuse for that. And so I talked about how I dealt with it and how I made, you know, looked at things. Mm. Because again, we should talk about the fact that these things do exist. They shouldn't, but then how do you deal with them? Um, if you're in that situation. Yeah, I love, I love so the it's, bad for yeah. you manager. <laughs> well, it, the, there's different management styles and I don't respond to sort of dictatorial or, you know, micromanaging yeah. or, but it, it works for some people and it's, Absolutely. it's successful in some situations. And I think it's about recognizing too that if you're in a situation where you don't like how your manager works or you don't like the corporate culture, don't think that that's the only thing available. The, there are other styles out there and you know I'm trying to showcase and would encourage other people too to showcase the types of places that exist because there'll be somebody and something right for everyone and it's more realistic to equip people to move between roles and between managers and between companies than it is to expect every company to change their culture to suit everybody which is something that I think many People talk about pushing, you know, you shouldn't, you know, you should change a culture, make it more inclusive. But it doesn't mean you should fundamentally change to be something for everybody. I don't believe that's the right shift that society needs. Mm. That's another thing differently there. Yeah, well, absolutely. It's just just as we would try and niche down for our customers and think about who are we trying to target with a particular marketing campaign or a particular service or proposition or whatever. We want to do the same both for ourselves 
and for those around us, our team members, etc. So yeah, so definitely a fantastic set of stories and tips, I suppose, to, to go into the evolving world of work as well. Yeah, I mean, it's about, yes, yeah, sharpening your own saw and just and learning about yourself. And I, I learn every day. I learn from other people. Um, and I hope I never do stop learning. I'm so if totally you're all open, you know, to, yeah, open to developing yourself, you can learn from well, pictures and images and quotes and stuff inspire me, as do my kids who have, uh, they also feature with some of the inspirations in the book, because it's not simply just lessons from a corporate world that makes it, <laughs> by, if I go back to the start point today, that would make it part of the sort of small, ever decreasing circle rather than the thinking differently yeah absolutely and it exists in a, a real world with real people right so that's that's fantastic totally well fiona this has been absolutely a, an amazing conversation i've really enjoyed diving into it and, and learning more about well thinking differently <laughs> for starters but also <laughs> lots lots of tips about actually how do you get on and how do you be successful in your own mind and ultimately be happy i think it, there's absolutely something for everyone here in this conversation and I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart no you're most it's, welcome uh, brilliant amazing thank you so much for for joining me here and I do hope everyone grabs a copy of Two Mirrors and a Cheetah by Fiona McDonnell in well physical book digital book and audio book as well now ebook yes exactly yeah. perfect thank you it's been a pleasure thank you so much Fiona really appreciate you you're welcome thank you Molly was a fantastic conversation and I do hope that you enjoyed it too. Loads of golden nuggets for you to take away. And like I say, do grab a copy of the book, Two Mirrors and a Cheetah, and find out loads more on the show notes today at obandco.uk slash 168. Now, if you are wondering what episode to listen to next, then here are a few recommendations. First up, episode 131 which was called Four Traits for Transformational Leadership. If you're busy thinking about how you can develop yourself and those around you to take on the challenge of transformation, then do check out that episode. And you may also want to reach out and talk to me about retail transformation coaching as well. So feel free to drop me an email, oliver.banks at obandco.uk. Another great episode to listen to particularly if you are thinking again more about your career at this particular time, episode 56, a little while ago, where I invited four fabulous guests to share career tips for the changing world of retail. So episode 56. And then finally, in episode 87 and 88, I spoke to Joe Jackman about the reinventionist mindset. There's a part one and a part two, so episode 87 and 88. Fantastic additional episodes to check out if you did enjoy this session with Fiona. So thanks so much for tuning in to this episode and I look forward to joining you on another episode of the Retail Transformation Show very, very soon. Bye for now. Bye.